0: So, this evening, I'd like to um, talk a little bit more about these three characteristics that we've been referring to through the through the retreat. And um, I'd like to um, kind of deconstruct a little bit the process of how clinging and dukkha arise. and hopefully by hopefully I can explain it in a way that you'll get some understanding of the process. So, there can also be some understanding of how the process can come to an end <coughs> excuse me it's not an easy uh, it's not an easy one to, to explain, but I'll give it a go so with the um, the three characteristics um, the the buddha in his in his exploration of life and exploration of the breathing and body sensations and mind and, um, and just exploration of life in general came to a um, came to a, a, an awareness that there are these three characteristics that define all things. That all all things have these three characteristics. There's 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 nothing. There's no thing. In existence, that doesn't exhibit these three characteristics, and um, and there's no thing that doesn't exhibit all three of the characteristics. So these are the the three defining characteristics. And when when we speak of the nature of things, you see in the in the texts, and you may hear in talks, this reference to this the nature of things or how things actually are is referring to these three characteristics. These characteristics define the nature of things. And so if you remember back very early in the retreat, I defined insight as seeing into the inner nature of things without thought. And so insight is the seeing into these three characteristics. This is the the inner nature of things. And... um, and I, 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 if I can recall correctly, I, um, I, I mentioned, I, I talked a little bit about how seeing into the inner nature of things is, is seeing beyond the superficial. It's kind of not getting caught in, in what's the most obvious and what comes to appearance first, but going beyond. And that's the reason for staying with the experience, and it's also a good reason for not just having an experience and writing it down <laughs> the The staying with allows the opportunity to to see something beyond or something other than the immediately obvious <clears throat> and, and, and And it's interesting because when when you understand the three characteristics, they are very obvious. <laughs> And and so in a sense it's seeing beyond the obvious. It's being seen beyond the immediately apparent, but on the other hand, it's actually seeing what's very obvious. It's not so obvious because we have a tendency to disregard it. And these, these three characteristics are all characteristics. We know them. We know them from our experience. We know them intellectually but there's a tendency to, to kind of disregard them. And I think this shows most clearly with the first one, um, the poly, the, which we, we've talked quite a bit about, actually. The, the Pali word is anicca, and it translates as impermanence. And so, the, so all things have the characteristic of impermanence. And I think we could all say, yes, I know that. Of course that's true. Everything changes. Nothing lasts forever. But the question is, do we live our lives from that knowing? Or do we live our lives based more on a belief or a hope or an assumption that at least some things will be around forever, or at least as long as we're around And uh, I I, I would guess that most of us, most of the time, live from that place. We have underlying assumptions. Even at the end of the day when I say, see you in the morning, (laughs) there's an assumption there, isn't there? (laughs) There's an underlying assumption. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen to any of us between now and morning. We really don't know. And anything can happen. And you know and just um, on, at the opening on Friday evening, I spoke a little bit about about the situation in Japan, and, and it's just such a such a good example. You know how just in a moment, there's this earthquake, and everything is shaken, and, and miraculously, you know, for the most part, Japan is built to to withstand these earthquakes, and there is actually very little damage from the earthquake. But then the earthquake triggered the tsunami, and the tsunami slept in, uh, slept in, swept in, (laughs) and and just caused so much damage, and so much destruction and loss of life. And who expected that? Who expected that kind of a dramatic, sudden change? So change these these changes can happen just in an instant. I remember one of one of my teachers was um, a monk in Thailand, and he told the story about going out early one morning on his on his alms rounds and walking through a rice field, and just walking along carrying his bowl, very happy and peaceful, and really you know really present. And he got bitten by a snake. And um, and and he said, the the moment he got bitten, the first thought that went through his mind was, "It started out as such a beautiful day." <laughs> <laughs> it's completely unexpected. You know, you're just walking along. Imagine if you're out doing your walking in the back here. <laughs> Do you have any expectation of being? <laughs> Attacked by her, by one of the rabbits. <laughs> you know, there's, there's these changes that are possible, and we know they're possible, but we just don't expect them, and we don't prepare for them, we don't plan for them, and when they happen, what a shock! And and just just little changes. You know, you come into the come into the meditation hall, and you start sitting, and um, uh, a tickle comes in the throat. And, oh, where would that come from? Oh, oh what did I do about this? Oh, and, you know, and, and, and there's been, there just hasn't been any expectation that there would be a change or any anticipation of any kind of a change. And we come on one retreat and we remember the last retreat and think it's going to be the same. You know, and we can do we can do retreat after retreat after retreat, and one of the things that we come to learn very soon is that everyone is different we don 't know how it 's going to be we just don't know how our life is going to be from one day to the next there's just so many possibilities just this summer this summer i was i was feeling really good, and we went to visit relatives in the States, and I came home, and a few weeks later, just, just, it just came on in an instant, this intense fever and chills, a really intense fever and chills. What's going on? What's going on? And I figured out that I had been bitten by a tick and got Lyme disease. You know, who would expect going to Washington, D.C.? <laughs> to get bitten by a tick and get Lyme disease. You know, and the the, the the these these things happen and and our, our situations our life situations change. Um, unexpected change with jobs. Um, just unexpected financial changes. Just in so many ways change happens and when it happens somehow we're surprised. We're shocked there's an underlying assumption that things don't change or at least some things and yet everything changes everything is impermanent and the 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 importance of the importance of of living the significance of of living from a place of this understanding and and the importance of of really knowing this as insight, not as an idea. The importance is that the, the more deeply and, um, and the, more, um, the, the more clear in our awareness and in our consciousness this fact of change is, the less we'll try to hold on to something because we know it can't be held on to. And we know that if we do try to hold on to it, it's dukkha. And so this this knowing of impermanence from insight brings with it just an easing, a relaxing, a releasing, an absence of holding, the ending of holding and the ending of the dukkha that comes with the, the clinging. If it's something unpleasant, if we know that it's going to change, if we really have in our consciousness that it will change, we don't need to try to get rid of it. We don't need to push it away. The knowing of impermanence allows for an opening to it. It allows for the presence of change it allows for the presence of whatever it is that that's undergoing change so this this important this 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 understanding and this deep knowing of impermanence is so important and this is why the buddha referred to it as a gateway to liberation To, to really pay attention to impermanence, to really be mindful of impermanence, to really be noticing where impermanence is showing, and to notice where we're living with an assumption, and, and, and maybe a completely unconscious assumption, but the assumption that things won't change. So when we're being mindful of the breathing, We're feeling the breathing. Every time the belly moves a little bit, it's a change. Every time the in-breath changes to an out-breath, it's a change. The out-breath changes to an in-breath, it's a change. There's a transition there, a moment of change. And the change is happening from moment to moment to moment to moment. We give attention to to the other body sensations, doing the body scan, going through the body and and hopefully you've noticed how the sensations change. One time I come down through this arm and it has a certain sensation. And then when I'm coming back up, I come back up it and, oh, it feels different. Or sometimes we even notice the change as we're moving the attention down. With the qigong, you know, we're doing we're moving our hands up and down. And maybe you can feel change happening in the body from moment to moment to moment. It's really tuning in, really tuning into this, this fact of impermanence. And 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 it's it and it applies to absolutely everything. The most solid appearing objects. The most solid appearing objects are changing literally from moment to moment to moment. And just because we can't see it or feel it doesn't mean it's not happening. On a molecular level, it's happening for sure. The, psh, the atoms or whatever it is, the electrons are spinning around, <laughs> moving, there's movement. There's lots of movement going on in, in any of these solid objects. It's just that it's at such a fine level, such a subtle level, we can't see it or feel it or hear it. The, 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 the Earth, the Earth seems so solid. You know we have this assumption that the Earth is solid. You know, it's the ground, it's the bedrock, it's it's what we stand on and what we walk on. And look what happens with the earthquakes: the earth moves. The whole country of Japan, the whole island shifted. I forget how far. It was an incredible amount that the whole island shifted during the earthquake. It's amazing. The, um, the, 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 the Buddha actually, um, somebody asked him what causes the earth to shake. What causes the earth to shake? And he, and he gave a whole list. And the first, the first cause that he listed, he said, the land is floating on liquid. And he said, the winds blow and disturb the liquid, and it causes the land, the earth, to move. Describing the plates, the Buddha, the Buddha knew. It's just quite quite phenomenal that he was able to he was able to perceive to 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 understand what was happening there. So impermanence, impermanence as a characteristic of things, impermanence as a gateway to liberation, a gateway to to that that releasing. That releasing of the clinging. And the the second the second characteristic in Pali is dukkha. And we speak of dukkha as being suffering, as being dissatisfaction, and we we and being stress. So we tend to think of dukkha to see dukkha as our response to things, how we how we experience them, what we experience because of things, outer and inner things. Um, so we tend to relate it with our experience. But the Buddha says all things have a characteristic of dukkha, and what he means by that is that all things have a characteristic of unsatisfactoriness, and Basically, the reason they have this characteristic of unsatisfactoriness is because they're subject to change. It's because of the impermanence. And 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 what it's saying, what it's pointing out, is how we um, we look so much for our happiness to things. We we try to get happiness from different things from. Objects from you know from what from cars from houses from computers from it's it's endless. The, the Buddha talked about how we chase after chase after things now here now there, and we just go now here now there now there now, there, now here, and, and just how we 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 want something and we think that somehow it's going to satisfy us and make us happy, and make life easier. And we get that thing, and how long is it before we start looking for something else? We get something, and we may feel, and and again, it can be anything. It can be a tangible object. It can be a job. It can be a relationship. It can be um, a home. It can be going on a retreat. (laughs) It can be anything. And when we get it, We may feel, we may experience some temporary satisfaction, happiness, peace, whatever it is that we're seeking from that that thing. And temporary may mean very temporary, could be longer, but at some point it starts to fade, it starts to fade and even while we're still feeling the the happiness or pleasure or whatever with that object even while we're still feeling that we're already starting to look for something else that inability to be at rest with what is and and the and the, the object because because of its impermanence the object has that Not just the impermanence, but the object has that characteristic of unsatisfactoriness because no external object will ever bring us unending, unchanging, permanent happiness. We can't depend on objects. We can't rely on them. And... And objects I would, I, would, I would very much include with this, meditation experiences. We come on retreat and we have these wonderful meditation experiences and the thought comes, oh, how can I take this home? You can't. <laughs> you can't hold on to it. And you can't depend on it ever coming back again. The, the The inherent unsatisfactory quality, the inherent unreliability, undependability of things. this is a characteristic of things. And again to 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 really deeply know this, to really deeply understand this becomes a gateway to liberation because it's a gateway to the ending of the holding. The ending of the expecting it. Expecting that, whatever it is, the happiness, peace, joy, bliss, whatever it is, expecting that to continue. So the, the, the dukkha, dukkha as a characteristic of things. And the third characteristic, the third characteristic, I've been, I've been expressing it through these days as conditionality, conditionality, meaning that that things occur, things owe their existence to conditions. And I'd like to like to explore this a little bit more. Um, the Pali word is anatta. And the word anatta translates literally as "without self." Without self, and it gets very confusing because it's often you often see it translated as "no self," and it doesn't mean a little tricky. It doesn't mean an absence of self. Okay, that's an important point. It doesn't mean an absence of self. It doesn't mean no self. And you also see it sometimes translated as emptiness. And very important, it doesn't mean emptiness in the sense of just an empty kind of vacuum with nothing in it. Okay, very important. It doesn't mean that. What it means is what it, what it means is um, without separate selfness. It means without separateness, non-separateness. And what it's saying is exactly what I've been saying with the conditionality. It's saying that things have their existence. This, for example, this, this bowl, here it is. We can't say it doesn't exist here it is. But it exists dependent on certain conditions. Obvious condition it depends on is that some metal was made at some point. If this metal had never been formed, this wouldn't exist. If there wasn't the person who made the metal, who the, the people who mined it from the earth, the person who formed it into the bowl, the person who had the idea of making a bowl. Without all of that, it wouldn't exist. It's conditional on all of that. And just sitting here, um, you know, it sits here, and at the end of the sitting we gong, and we call it a bell. But just sitting here, what makes it A bell? What makes it a bell? You know, I, I look at it right here now, and I see it's a bowl. Take it in the morning for my... Mm, much, oh, that would give me a lot more porridge than <laughs> than the bowl I get. <laughs> Great. And what makes it a bowl is more conditions. It depends on... This is one of the conditions... This has to be with it as well. And then this in itself is conditioned. It's conditioned by having some string. It's conditioned by someone um, forming this piece of wood. It's conditioned by the lathe that formed the wood. It's, you know, it, it, this, this doesn't exist separate from the conditions. This absence of separateness from the conditions is the not-selfness it's the emptiness it's 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 empty of it's empty uh it's it's empty in the sense that it isn't a bowl without all the conditions but here it is it exists okay to be a, and then to take this bowl into a bell it's dependent on this it's dependent on this and then it's dependent on someone like me who's going to Oops. <laughs> not much of a bell. <laughs> so it's also dependent on the condition of not grasping. <laughs> We can, we can look at anything. We can look at absolutely anything. And if we look carefully and, and look at it in this way, we can see how anything owes its existence to conditions. It owes its existence to a, a set of particular conditions coming together in a certain way, in a certain moment. And each of those conditions is subject to change. And so the thing will change as the conditions change. Just like the pain in your knee, it arises because of conditions. A condition may be your posture. Body's not used to sitting a certain way, knee gets painful. Condition changes. Ah (laughs) straighten your leg out, pain goes away. The arising of the pain is conditioned by the position of the knee, position changes, the passing of the pain is conditioned by the by the by that change. Things owe their existence. To conditions and are not separate from the conditions this, this retreat the whole retreat you know just just think of what it takes to make a retreat to have a retreat you know, just it boggles the mind how much is involved and how many people are involved, you know aside from all of you, leave yourselves out of it. <laughs> Um, but but certainly each one of you is a condition for this retreat. Each one of us. Each person who's connected with Gaia House, each person who's ever been connected with Gaia House, uh, you know, everyone who does the gardening and cuts the grass and fixes the electricals and fixes the boiler and fixes the roof and Puts up solar panels, and and all these people who come, who deliver the food, who the the farmers who grow the food, the it just goes on and on and on. It's just mind boggling how many conditions have to come together to allow a retreat to happen. It's miraculous that it ever happens. When you think of it, it's, it's quite miraculous that anything happens. <laughs> Everything is a miracle. You know, We're witnessing miracles in every moment of our lives. Every moment is a miracle. Can we wake up to that? To really wake up to life with that, with that attitude. Every moment is a miracle. And that, and that understanding can come through the understanding of conditionality, of anatta, of not-selfness, of non-separateness. When it comes to the meditation, as I've said, the meditation is, is really a process of examining this self, this self, and and in a way, it's it's a process of examining the self in order to understand and to know through experience the not selfness, the not selfness being a gateway to liberation. And so we can we can we can explore this this apparent self and see the not selfness, and and um this this process of how clinging so so clinging is the the arising of dukkha and the seeing of the not selfness can be the ending of the dukkha so let's look at how clinging and dukkha arise and in that in that examination hopefully we can see the part that not selfness plays in it, and see where not selfness shows, how not selfness shows. So, so here we are. We're um, we're on retreat. We're in Gaia House. It's about um, let's say it's about where are we here? Um, ah, okay, eleven forty-five. There's a sitting meditation period. And you've decided you've had enough of sitting meditation. And you're going to do some walking instead. And um, it's raining. It's pouring outside. And um, the, um, the walking room feels a little cold and damp. So you decide to walk up and down the hallway here. And you're just mindfully doing your walking. Up and down, one step at a time, feeling the hard floor, the cold hard floor. <laughs> and you walk by the kitchen window and smell something. You smell something. Lunch. <laughs> um, if you if you if you give attention by giving attention to what's happening in that moment if you if you're really present with what's happening you notice this the this, the smell question did it take any effort to smell that lunch cooking does it take any effort no No, you didn't have to put any effort. You didn't have to try. Just by walking by. Just the fact that your nose happened to be walking by the kitchen and the pot happened to be on the stove and the two come together. And these two coming together, the the smell, the, the odor from the food comes and hits the nose. They come together and in that coming together... Without any effort, without you doing anything, smelling happens. Okay? Is that clear? Okay? Smelling. Smelling happens. So the smelling, the process of smelling is dependent on, it's conditioned by the coming together of the two. It's conditioned by the, the nose and the smell Together, if you if you walk by holding your nose, smelling won't happen. If the if the the door in that little window in the kitchen was a lot thicker, the smell wouldn't get through, and no matter how open your nose was, the smelling wouldn't happen. It's dependent on the two coming together. This this process of smelling in the Buddhist terminology, just the bare fact of smelling is consciousness consciousness is that process of smelling same thing sitting okay this time you've decided to sit in the meditation hall you're sitting in the meditation hall mindfully breathing in and breathing out and all of a sudden <coughs> <laughs> did you have to do anything to make yourself hear that sound. No. (laughs) If anything, you would do something to not hear it. (laughs) The vibration from that bird comes through the air and touches the ear. In the two coming together, the two coming together condition the arising of hearing. Hearing Happens as a natural response to this coming together, just as smelling happens as a natural response to this coming together. So the hearing is the consciousness. So consciousness arises dependent on this contact, this coming together. And it's a similar process with tasting. Food touches the tongue, you don't have to do anything to make yourself taste with seeing. If your eyes are open, you see things. If your eyes are open and they're functioning, you see things. You don't have to do anything to make yourself see. Seeing happens. I put my hand on here. There's a sensation. I feel it. There's that touch sensation. And and once the hand is there, once the contact is made... I don't have to do anything to feel it. If, um, if, if somebody comes along and, and bumps into me, I feel it without having done anything. So these, these, all these sense impressions, the sensory processes, the hearing, the seeing, the touching, the tasting, the smelling, they all happen dependent on This coming together. And similarly, how much effort do you have to make for thinking to happen? You're sitting here and thinking happens. And no matter how hard you want to stop the thinking, no matter how committed you are to being with every breath, I think every single one of you have noticed that thinking happens. (laughs) Thoughts arise, thinking happens without any effort. There's a mind consciousness, a thinking consciousness. So the, 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 the Buddha, in his analysis, then puts these three things together. The nose, the odor, and the consciousness. And these three things together comprise what he referred to as contact. It's how we make contact with the world, the inner world and the outer world. We make contact by the coming together of these three. If any one of these three things is missing, there's no contact. So sometimes um, two people will walk by the kitchen at the same time, and for one person, smelling will arise, and the other person is so caught up in thoughts arising <laughs> that the smell consciousness doesn't happen. So that particular contact doesn't happen. The contact depends on, on the three, the package of three things. So this, this contact happens dependent on the non-separateness of these three factors. These three, these three things. So when, when, the, when this happens, when this contact happens, um, a couple of things follow on from that very quickly. One thing that follows on is the feeling tone, the feeling in that, in that contact and from that contact, the experience is either pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. So the feeling is conditioned by the contact. The feeling is also conditioned to some extent by memory. In that that moment of contact, just so fast in that moment of contact, the the hard drive kind of starts up and searches the memory and finds some association from the past, finds some memory from the past, brings it in, and... The feeling arises that becomes a condition for the feeling okay, so the feeling arises, and the other thing that happens that arises dependent on this contact, which includes the the sense door the object, and the consciousness, is what 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 the Buddha referred to as perception and Perception, perception has a couple of bits to it. Perception is primarily the perception of an object. Okay, so the, the smell comes, and then perception places it. So remember, it's happened, the smelling has arisen because of this coming together, but then perception, which is an aspect of the mind, perception places it and perceives it as being there in the kitchen in that pot that's the source of it and perception also gives it a name lunch <laughs> and this this naming also involves memory So an aspect of perception. So perception is primarily this locating and naming. And it's also the the memory, the faculty of memory. And so perception affects the feeling tone. And the feeling also affects the perception. They kind of work together. Okay, so what's happened is the smell has arisen because of this this coming together. And then the perception aspect of the mind puts it out there. And because it's out there, there must be someone here who's smelling it. And so perception, in a sense, creates the separate me who's smelling And then another aspect of mind which, which is referred to as mental formations comes in and often the first mental formation that comes is I smell. The mental formation takes ownership of something that was just a natural process because of perception separating the two. Does that make sense? And so perception separates that which actually exists because of coming together, because of non-separateness. And because of the perception of separateness, and the feeling, so dependent on that perception of separateness, dependent on that on believing that perception of separateness, and dependent on the feeling, dependent on the consciousness, dependent on this whole process, if, assuming with the lunch, the, uh, the, the feeling that comes is pleasant, then because it's out there, over there, and i'm here i have to get it so now i have to get what actually was never apart from me is only the perception that says it's apart from me and in in um in In perceiving that and in believing that, believing that perception, believing it to be true, I want it. I have to get it. I'm really hungry. Even though hunger has just arisen as a natural process, perception says, I'm hungry. It takes ownership of what's just a natural process, a natural arising, because of conditions, condition of the body needing some nourishment. And this is how the wanting, the craving, begins. You know, if If the cooks are still in there... Pascal's still in there working away, stirring the pot, and the door is still closed. And I know the food is in there, and it smells so good. And I'm so hungry. And oh, another twenty minutes. Oh, oh, another nineteen minutes. Oh, and the 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 craving, the craving for it, comes. And this is and and then the. The, the clinging, and then I think, okay, I'll just go back to walking. And I take a few steps, and it's, no, I just want it. I just, I'm hungry. When's the bell going to ring? And this is the, the clinging, this is the dukkha. And, it's, and, and, and And the dukkha has arisen from this perception of separateness, of needing to get, of me needing to get of me wanting of me here and it there and the feeling and all of these become the conditions the conditions for the dukkha and if we look closely if we if we if we can turn the attention inward and 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 kind of look at this this me who's who's just doing his walking meditation <laughs> just walking by. What what can be seen is that in that moment, who I am is not separate from that pot of food or the smell or Pascal stirring the pot or the cold hard floor or the door that's holding it down or the bird that goes ak, ak, while I'm feeling all this experiencing all this who i am in any given moment is not separate from the contacts that are happening and so we can we can begin to to see and begin to understand that we are not separate this who i am doesn't end at the surface of this body and that bird doesn't end in that tree we're not separate from each other and this is the emptiness this is the not selfness the not separateness and so whatever whenever we see something we're actually seeing ourself. When we hear a sound, we're hearing ourselves. When we smell something, the smelling is ourself. And to 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 really understand this, to 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 really know this, to to experience this, to to in the, in the in the silence and stillness of meditation, to to actually feel the coming together, to know that contact very intimately, and that and that and that intimate contact is known not by trying to know it or trying to figure it out. It's known just by being quiet and still and open and allowing. and we come to know that non-separateness and when we when we understand non-separateness in in relationship of ourself and another person or other persons we can begin to see there's not so much difference we can begin to see that we all share the experience of dukkha we all share the wish to end dukkha we all share the joys of life and 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 in that in that recognition in that knowing of the non-separateness the heart can open and when we when we contact when we when we come in contact with 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 dukkha, with another person who's suffering, we feel that. And we've all, all had this experience. We feel the dukkha. We feel another person's suffering. And, and and in that moment of feeling it, that other person's suffering is our suffering. And if the heart is open, if the suffering is, if, if we don't close down, if we stay open, then the compassion comes. The wish to end suffering. The wish to end suffering of that other person in the same way that we wish to end our own suffering. And so compassionate action arises from this, this understanding of not-self, this understanding of non-separateness, this knowing of non-separateness. And this knowing of non-separateness, so it brings up the compassion, it brings out the kindness, it brings out great joy, and it's a gateway to liberation because in, in, in knowing the non-separateness, where's this self to hold on to where's this this self what what happens to this image of me that i hold on to and that i protect that i defend that i project to others the self is still here the body mind is still here still functions but the relationship changes in a way that it's not personal. It's not separate personal. It's very freeing, very liberating to understand this, this conditionality, this dependent arising and passing. The not selfness to end the the uh, to end this this egocentric belief that I can do anything or I can get what I want or I can't get what I want or I can't do anything or you can or you can't this 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 belief that that the power to control these things, is my power. That I'm here at the center of the world and the world is all out there. The world is all right here, right now. I think I mentioned the other day how the Buddha said the entire universe is contained within this body. And he can say that because he understands anatta. He understands not separateness. So in the meditation, the meditation is the exploration of this, of this thing I call me, this self. And as I spoke about this morning, the, uh, this factor of investigation of states, the investigation of these three characteristics investigating in a way that we come to a real deep understanding that truly does liberate us, that truly does end Dukkha. So let's sit together quietly for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.